This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today what's going on everybody welcome back to the backside ground balls podcast where we are on the campus of wake forest university in winston-salem north carolina we're lucky enough to be joined by head coach of the Demon Deacons, Coach Tom Walter. Coach Walter, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Backside ground balls. I talk about that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> some, some of your best exit velocities are backside ground balls. So, uh, so that's a good thing. Exit velocity is a good thing. Exit velocity is sure a good thing. And Colin and I were here yesterday got for your guys' uh, inner squad or live at-bats that you were running. And there were definitely some loud exit velocity numbers, I'm sure, by uh, one in particular and Nick Kurtz, who most people probably know uh, pretty familiarly. But first question I got to ask you is we're sitting here in January of 2024. Uh, um, preseason number one program in the country, seemingly a player development factory. Uh, and from at least from the outside perspective, ahead of everybody in data analytics, when you took the job in 2009, is this the vision you had for the program? Well, it is. I mean, we always wanted to be first in player development. I mean, that's been a big part of, of kind of the fabric of this team. We've hired coaches from the north, from smaller schools, truthfully, that are used to developing players. You know, up there you don't kind of get the high-end recruits, so you got to bring in guys, and we wanted to keep that same basic philosophy here. So um, player development has always been front and center at what we do. Obviously, with the, the addition of data and technology and the pitching lab, it's kind of gone next level. But even back in 2009, as you said, that was the, that was the idea for sure. So that's the vision. What then – is the key to building that because I'm sure as you know since 2009 things in the landscape of college baseball have changed over and over and you have to continue to try and stay out in front of that and on that what are some of the keys to building what you've done well money is a big part of it you know we've had to go out and raise a good bit of money to to change really overhaul the face of our stadium when you know you wouldn't believe what this place looked like when when we got here uh, when coach Salento and I got here in 2009 i mean it was an old minor league park that was in total disrepair they were building a brand new park downtown so they kind of let this go and uh, and we had a lot of work to do i mean there i don't i don't know that there's any piece of the stadium now left other than really the press box and you know, maybe a couple of those concession stands down the down the first base line. But um, so a total overhaul of the facilities kind of first and foremost and obviously with money. But then, uh, as you mentioned before, the addition of, of data and technology, you know, we've kind of we started with a two or three person analytics team and now it's grown into a 22 person analytics team. And we've got a director of analytics, full time director of analytics in in Chris Lewis. We've added Kinetrax on the field. Um, so we're you know, we're trying to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, and, and the question that I want to go to off of that is 2023 was a phenomenal season, banner year for the program. 
How do you stay there? What does it take going into 2024? We're obviously preseason consensus number one program. Everybody's excited about what you have coming back and what you have to be able to put on the field. How do you stay in this position and be the consistent winner that I'm sure you want to and expect to be? Yeah, as I, as I said to our team, you know, the key is not stand still. You know what I mean? I think sometimes people get to that level and they think that continuing to do what they've always done is enough and you've got to continue to grow and get better. And it's one of the things I love about our coaching staff here, Coach Moose, our pitching coach, and Billy, Matt Wessinger, um, they, they just have a growth mindset. They're always looking for ways to push the envelope and, and get us better. And, and, again, one example of that is just adding Kinetrax, adding on-field biomechanics. You know, we've always felt like we've been good enough offensively to go to Omaha. We just haven't really been good enough on the mound, you know, other than Collins' freshman year in 2017. You know, obviously he was a big part of that staff. But uh, but that staff, you know, was good enough to get us to Omaha. But now with the pitching lab and the analytics and everything we're doing, you know, our pitching staff is, you know, number one pitching staff in the country last year. You mentioned, you know, kind of instilling the, the mindset of, of not staying still with the players. And you hear co- uh, coaches all the time talk about culture and, and getting guys to buy in. What does that look like for your program? And how do you go about, you know, setting that culture and getting those guys to, to buy in? Yeah, great question. So, you know, three years ago, 2021, we struggled. I mean, we had a bad year. Now, there were a lot of reasons for that. We had our kind of our number one and our number two go down right before the season started, which you know, any program is going to struggle to recover from that. And it was COVID, you know, coming kind of coming out of COVID. We had a, some seniors here who didn't feel like they were going to be here as seniors. They thought they were going to be junior drafts and gone. And then we got out of the gate kind of slow. And then we the team got COVID and we missed like 10 days as a team. And we went down to Miami with like 14 players um, and got swept at Miami. And it kind of spiraled into a, to a really bad season. But one of the kind of things that happened in that moment was that, you know, we decided that we needed to become way more intentional about our team culture. We couldn't take that for granted. Again, when Colin was there, we had such a great group of guys who were so close knit and we had leaders on that team and, and we lost that kind of that leadership edge along the way. We've, you know, we've always wanted to be a player led organization. You know, we talk all the time, you know, don't be coach fed, be player led. Right. And, you know, I think we got into that, you know, that COVID era where we weren't player led anymore. So we, uh, I pulled the, all the freshmen into my office. I'll never forget. It was in April. I pulled all the freshmen in my office that included Rhett Lauder and Brock Wilkin and Cam Anasi and Seth Keener and that really talented group of guys. And I told them, and I said, look, this is not what this is supposed to look like. You know, this is not who we are as a team and, and we're struggling right now. We've got two options here. We can either, like break apart and everybody can transfer and we can just blow this thing up and start over next year. Or this group of guys can come closer together, you know, bond with one another and try to, and start to lay the bricks for the future. And that's what they did. I give those guys credit. And we swept Pitt at the end of that year, which again was, was an awesome kind of, you know, kind of cherry on the top to say, okay, now we know what it doesn't look like. And now we know what it does look like because that last weekend, it was funny, those seniors who were, mostly disengaged all year it was the last weekend ever playing college baseball so they were kind of into it and we had some success and it kind of snowballed and um and so our freshmen got a taste of what that could feel like that team chemistry that we wanted and then the next year sorry it's probably a longer answer than you Mm -hmm. wanted but then the next year uh we started the year off with a team retreat and we've done that now three years in a row as Colin remembers, we read a team book uh, like we always do. And that year we read a team book called It Takes What It Takes and, and uh, Trevor Moed. And we went away on a team retreat. We talked about the book and we had some really direct and open conversations about, you know, what do we want this to look like? Like, who are we? What do we do? We had a conversation with Rhett uh, probably a couple weeks ago, and, and I kind of gauged the question of, I almost felt like he was the epitome of the rise of Wake Forest baseball, right? That 2021 season, he struggled, the team struggled, right? 2022, it seems like everything's heading in the right, right direction, and then in 2023, it blew up for everybody, right? And obviously, he was a big part of that success, and it's funny to hear that it almost seems like that meeting is kind of where the tides turned to that group in 2023 that seemed like 
they had so much fun. I mean, they were fun to watch. They were, I'm sure they were fun to be a part of. It was fun just to watch them on TV. And you're like, man, I really wish that like, when you think about like as guys that were former college coaches, like that's what you miss the most. What was the run of that 2023 season like? And what am I right in the fact that it seemed like that group had a lot of fun and that was probably a core of what allowed that team to be so successful? You're so right. I told our team uh, in our first meeting of the year, I said to them, I said, we were the darlings of Omaha last year because, and part of it was because we're the underdog and, and we hadn't been there in a while. And, you know, nobody maybe expected us to be there, but it was more because of how our guys, you know, played the game and how they interacted with each other. And, you know, our team motto last year was make them feel you. And that's something we spent a lot of time talking about at our dream, our, our, our book last year was legacy about the New Zealand All Blacks. So we talked a lot about what's our legacy? You know, what do we want this team to be? And, you know, I think what, like what we decided, it boiled down to for us, the two things we want to be best at in this program are, one, we want our players to love each other more than any other program in the country. Number two, we want to lead the league in using data and technology for player development. Like those are the two things we do better than anybody else, and that's who we are. And as, as a result, we have to tie all our decisions back to those two things. And that's what we did really well last year. Like our guys, you watched us play, and they cared about each other. And they and you heard the post game press conferences, and those guys were just talking about brotherhood and family, and how much they just love being with this group of guys. And you know, it showed up in everything we did. And that kind of the I tell the story all the time. But one of the culminations of it for me last year was this past Halloween when I had like. Brock Wilkin, get kids dressed up like Brock Wilkin, show up at my door, like asking for Kenny. I had like three Rhett Louders, I had two Josh Hartles, you know what I mean? I had, uh, and I had uh, Nick Kurtz, a couple Spidey doing the Spidey things, you know? So it's like, talk about make them feel you, you know, you got kids dressed up as specific Wake Forest baseball players. And, you know, I don't know that I would have ever dreamed that something like that could happen. It was really special. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head, the darlings of that World Series. I can speak for, I think, a lot of people. Like, I know I was pulling for you guys so much, and obviously because of Colin, but also just like you're saying, watching those guys and how they, they were competing together and the love that was so evident. Um, so that team was the darlings. This team, there's a little more expectations. We've talked about kind of managing expectations a little bit. How do you maintain the success? In your vision of what you've seen so far, we're still early on, what do you kind of think the identity of this team looks like or what do you maybe want this the identity of this team? Because I think, you know, year to year, it's always different depending on the guys in the room. It's always different. I think we're going to be a little more of a grinder team. You know, we've got some of these older position players that have transferred from other places, Adam Tellier and Tate Ballestero and Austin Hawk and Mitchell Salvino, you know, uh, Cameron Gill. You know, so we've got some, like – we're, you know, our team is a little bit of a, of a dichotomy, right? Because we have some star power. Like, we have some serious star power. You mm -hmm. talked about Nick Kurtz. We've got Seaver King. We've got Michael Massey, Josh Hartle, and Chase Burns. I mean, we've got five, like, potential first-rounders, which that would be unheard of in college yep. baseball. Three's the most anybody's ever had. So we've got some star power. But on the flip side of that is we have some guys that are just kind of grinder guys. You know what I mean? Guys that have – proven success um, in college baseball that are a little older that came in to fill some really great pieces for us. So we're, you know, again, we're kind of a blend of those, those two worlds. And what I love is like, you know, the one wild card in all this is, has really been, you know, really Chase Burns and Seaver King. Cause we didn't know as much about who they were inside headed into this season. We didn't do as much homework because the transfer portal process happened so fast right. for those two guys. And we, it was either kind of you're in or you're out. And, you know, Seaver King wanted to make his decision before he went to the Cape, which we were fortunate he chose us. And, and Chase Burns, you know, was kind of going through the same process. And, um, and we really kind of hit the jackpot with those two guys because they have fit right into our team culture and really become – one of the guys. I mean, we heard things about Chase Burns. Oh, he was kind of mm -hmm. kept to himself at Tennessee. He didn't really kind of get along with the other guys on the team. And he's been the complete opposite here. He's totally invested in this group of guys. And I was just, I set my exit meeting with him in, in December, my fall exit meeting with him. And he's just grinning from ear to ear, talking about how much he loves it here at Wake Forest and how much he loves the guys and being part of this program. So, you know, for me, that's, that's really special. Uh, when Seaver King and Chase Burns hit the ground running. But, you know, the fact that our, we have a, such a strong team culture and sense of family that we welcome those guys in. Like, we didn't, yep. we didn't like, 
I think in other programs, might have those kids, there might have been some pushback there, like and some jealousy or whatever, but not in our program. And those guys got and ex- not only accepted, but they're leaders on our team. You mentioned the transfers a couple of times there, and obviously it's a big piece to the on-field production, but I think the fact that you highlighted the culture aspect is so important because you never know, right? You said the process works so fast in getting those guys in. Is there a protocol to it to how do you kind of get transfers up and running? Is it just by making sure you communicate with the guys that are here that we're a welcoming environment for everybody, Like kind of like you mentioned? What kind of goes into making sure that those guys are going to be a culture fit? Because we all know, we've all been in college programs where the guy could be the most talented guy in the world, but he's not the culture fit that you're looking for. And some that times that can be more detriment than help in terms of how it translates to on-field success. Yeah, it, it comes down to the players. You know, last year, you know, Rhett Lauder and Brock Wilkin and Cam Manassi and those guys, you know, they welcomed Bennett Lee and Michael Massey and Sean Sullivan and Justin Johnson because they knew they made us better, right? They knew they could put us over the top and, and, and give us a legitimate chance to win a national championship. So, you know, one, it's, it's having um, guys come into the program with the right mindset. One of the things we talk about all the time, and our, you know, that, that great leaders all share two qualities, and that's humility and gratitude. So we talk a lot about those two things in our team meeting room. And one of the adjustments we've made is we've really used this team meeting room. We start every practice in there. We'll put a video up there. We'll put the practice plan up there. We'll have a message of the day. And I think that's really helped kind of gel this team. Again, for me, team culture boils down to shared experiences you know, which are things like the retreat and the book and things like that. You know, we have team meals. They had a team meal in here two nights ago just on a random Saturday night. It's like team meal in the clubhouse. Everybody's here, you know, or, and a couple of our upperclassmen have houses off campus, so there'll be guys over there watching Monday Night Football or, or whatever. Uh, and then the second thing is shared language. Like, you have to be speaking the same language, and if everybody's speaking the same language, then it's just that sense of, of kind of unity and Again, I, I refer back to Collins' year in 2017. We read The Boys in the Boat that year. And what an incredible book that ended up being for our team. It got to the point of the year where Parker Johnson goes out and buys, like, this inflatable raft, and it's, like, in the middle of our clubhouse. And, like, every day I walk in the clubhouse and there's kids sitting in the raft, like, and then the oars are going on the road with us. And we got we were at Florida, and the umpire came up to me. He's like, like, you can't have those oars in the dugout. And I'm like, why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah like, what, like, what are we talking about? And, and so, anyway, and that was the same way with this, with this team last year. They, they just took our, our motto of make them feel you, and they turned it into um, what it became, which was make every single person that you interact with every single day feel you, your professors, the fans, you know, the kid that's looking for an autograph, you know, an elderly person who needs help across the street, whatever, you know, hold the door for somebody, make eye contact, put your phone down, you know, that kind of stuff. And again, those are the things we talk about. And our kids really embrace that and, and, and took off with it. You know, I think it, it probably must take a, a really special group of leaders in that clubhouse to kind of get everyone on, on that same page. But when it happens, you kind of see the success and, and how it can run itself and how nice that must be as a coaching staff to know that, you you know, those guys that have got it figured out down there. Um, back to the transfer portal real quick. What has the adjustment been for you and your program with the new transfer rules and how um, guys are kind of in and out and, and that – can that rattle a culture in your opinion? And, and has there been an adjustment from you and the staff of kind of dealing with the portal on the whole? Yeah, for sure. It's been a huge, I mean, I've never seen so many changes in college athletics in the, in the last couple of years. Cause you, not only did you have the portal, but then you had NIL kind of right on top of it. And, and the waiver of the transfer sitting out a year kind of all together, but you also had the movement of the, the moving of the draft. Like people right. don't talk often about, what a big difference that was moving the draft to July 11th or 12th or whatever it is, because, you know, our scholarships are due July one for the next year. We're not a hundred percent sure we're going to lose in the draft, whether it's current players wow. or returning players. And now you're adding the transfer portal, to the mix too. So, you know, like last year we got back from Omaha, like we spent the next 30 days, like working, like in the portal, there was no time to celebrate or reflect. It was like, like we got to get in the portal and, and, you know, cause we knew we we're going to lose a bunch of guys in the draft and we had to replace those pieces. So we were, you know, in the portal immediately for us, you know, how, how I look at NIL and the portal is I look at it like, 
like a little bit like the, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not afraid to admit it. And I know a lot of Delaware people are, I think. Um, but, um, but the, um, you know, when the Yankees were really good, right, they were homegrown in the middle of the field, like Jeter, Posada, Rivera, Pettit, Bernie Williams, like the, right. the crux of their team and their leadership was homegrown. And then they added like clubhouse pieces, you know, guys that were just added to your clubhouse, made the room better, kind of gamer veteran guys, Scott Brocious, Paul O'Neill, guys like that. But then they also added a little star power, you know, Roger Clemens or Hideki Matsui. And that's how I look at the portal for us. Like I want to look, I want to be homegrown. So I want the crux of our team to be guys who started here as freshmen, but I do want to add some clubhouse depth and I do want to add some star power. Like those are, that's how I want to use the portal and, and, uh, and, and NIL opportunities. Have you found that strategy of roster building? Like, is that something you think you can continue to be successful with? And I guess my question in that is, is it hard? Do you almost feel like you have to recruit your own roster at times because guys can also, it goes the other way, right? The portal isn't just one way. They're not just coming in, although I'm sure a ton of people want to come and play for this program. But if guys aren't happy, they want to go out too. Is, is it almost like you have to, do you feel like you have to recruit your own roster almost at times? Yeah, you do. I, I mean, I, you know, we, we joke about it. You know, at least they, they changed the recruiting calendar where you're not recruiting ninth graders anymore because right. it seemed like there was a stretch that you were recruiting people for eight years, like four years before they got here and then four after while they were here. But um, so at least that window shortened a little. But, yeah, I, and, again, I don't look at it necessarily as recruitment as I do just building the right environment right. where they want to be here every day. Like our kids, they, they don't want to leave our program because they just love being on the field you know, every day. They just love being here in the clubhouse. They love being around each other. So, you know, our retention rate, we lost a couple guys in the portal. And, but again, it wasn't anybody that we felt like we, we couldn't afford to lose. You know, we, we kept the guys we needed to keep. And, you know, certainly Hartle and Kurtz and those and Merrick Houston, Michael Massey, those guys could have all gone elsewhere and gotten big NIL deals mm-hmm. to go somewhere else, but they wanted to be here. And, you know, that again ties back to that team culture. So if, if you have your team culture right, if you have your leadership group right and the locker room right, I think that stuff takes care of itself. And as far as like for us, like we've become a destination program and that wasn't always the case. We had to really recruit under the radar screen and, and develop. And now we've kind of flipped that a little bit where, you know, people want to come here. And because of our track record of, of success recently and development, but also because people trust us, you know, quite honestly, the agents want to send their kids here because they know that they're going to get developed. They know they're going to get treated fairly. We know we're going to have their best interests at heart. So, you know, again, and, and, and unfortunately not every program can say that. And I, I want to talk about like the, the aspect of keeping the talented freshmen, right? Like, cause that's what I think every program probably loses every program head loses sleep over is that talented freshman who is behind you know a pitching rotation of Chase Burns Josh Hartle Michael Massey and he might not be getting the innings that he wants and somebody's in his ear hey you could be our guy next year right away what are what's the components that go into making sure that guy understands the process of being like it's going to pay off. Is it communication? Is it relationships? Are those the main factors in making sure that guy stays happy and doesn't take the, the bait from another program that's offering him something that might be sunshine and rainbows? Yeah, the, the, the communication and relationships are obviously front and center. And, you know, the transparency, you know, and, and, and it, there's three different groups of people that are, well, four different groups of people that are super involved in that, right? So you've got our coaching staff, and we've got to touch these guys more. We've got to make them feel loved. We've got to make them understand what their development plan is. Because if they're confident in their development plan and where they're headed, they're probably going to stick it out. If they're not sure about what their development plan is or they don't know what their future is, you know, that's when it can get off rails. The second group is the parents. Like, you've got to engage the parents. Like, I, I spent a lot of time talking with our parents and communicating with our parents. Because, again, the, their message – and I have a meeting every year with our incoming – like new parents. And I talk about like, this is how you can help us. This is how you can hurt us. Like saying things like, you know, oh, the coach doesn't know what he's doing. That hurts us. You know what I mean? Saying things like, have you gone and talked to the coach about it? You know what I mean? I'm not saying you should take my side in these situations. What I'm saying is encourage your son to come and have a conversation. If he has questions, if he's coming to you with things, encourage him to come and talk to me about them. And we say those to the players as well. The third group of people is the agent. Like the agent 
Like if we have a good relationship with the agent and we're communicating with the agent, then the agent's saying to the kid, Hey, you're in the right place. And like, sometimes when we go talk to the kid, it can come off as self-serving, right? Oh, it's just coach telling me, you know, what he wants, you know, but if it's coming from the agent and or the parents, then there's just kind of that built in trust factor. And then the last piece is the current players. Like when you're a young player and Nick Kurtz says to you, Hey, coach has a plan trust these guys, man. I mean, that goes so far. So like you need to have the coaches, the parents, the agent, <laughs> you know what I mean? At, at, you know, at, all aligned, like everybody's going to be, and again, that's where that shared language comes in. If we have a really good development plan that we've communicated to the agent and to the parents and to the kid, you know, then every, and then he, kids here in that same language. And he's like, Oh man, these guys are thinking about me. These guys, I'm in the plans. This is, this is going to end well. In 15 years of now doing this, I guess, is that like, are some of those lessons right there the biggest things you've learned and adapted? Because I'm hearing a lot, like we, we haven't even talked about X's and O's with you because as a head coach at a program like this, there is so much, for lack of a better term, CEO responsibilities that you're in charge of for the program, making sure that your other assistants are communicating, making sure that you're communicating with parents, making sure you're communicating with agents, all of these things, knowing what the recruiting board looks like is, is like learning those skills in your 15 years. Is that the, the thing that you feel like you've grown the most in? Yeah. I mean, again, I think I feel like I've grown in every aspect of it. You know, I, my communication with, with the assistant coaches has gotten better and it needs to continue to get better. Again, that growth mindset. I mean, I, I'm not, I can't stand still either. So I've got to continue. But to your point, like it seems like the higher you go and the more successful you are, the less actual coaching you do, you know, cause you're dealing more with alums and financial aid and admissions and, you know, and, all the different kind of pieces of your program to your point. Like I could see like a scenario in, in the next couple of years where college baseball programs have general managers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Where, where it frees up the, the head coach to do more coaching. And I like assistant coaches that I talk, I talk to Moose and Billy about this all the time. And it's like, and you look at a guy like Kevin McMullen who's been at Virginia for so long. And why is that? Because he loves what he does. Right. You know, assistant coaches get to focus on their current players mm -hmm. and recruits. Right. Right. And that's all they worry about. They don't have to worry about all the other stuff. And if and if a guy like Kevin McMullen or Bill Salento or Corey Mascara leaves, then all of a sudden that shifts and they've got to deal with more of the stuff that I have to deal with. And that maybe they maybe they want that, maybe they don't want that. But point but point of the matter is you have to make an intentional decision about that, about what, you know, because, you know, to your point, it's more CEO than it is coach. Right. How important is it to have the right assistance then in the boat with you to make sure that everything flows as the way you want as the CEO, where you don't feel like you're being pulled to the pitching staff because guys might not be getting what they want, or you're not being pulled to help the hitters out because they might not be getting what they want. Obviously, you've been with Coach Talento since you've stepped foot on campus here, and Coach Muscar has been around for a little bit less time, but how important is it to have the right mix of great assistant coaches that you trust. And then that factors into the players trusting and all of the thing, just the trickle down effect, as you said, the agents and having that trust. And now everybody's in lockstep. How important are the assistants to having that success? It's, I mean, it's the number one most important thing. I mean, aligned leadership is what it boils down to. You've got to have everybody pull in the same direction um, you know, to back to the boys in the boat reference, right? That, that, that oar's got to hit the water at the same exact time. Right. And you've got to have ultimate trust. Like you got to have, they've got to trust me. I've got to trust them. Um, because the players feel that like, as soon as that gets off rails, the players feel that more than anybody. And in our bad year in 21, that's kind of what happened a little bit too, is we just had some, some doubts, um, you know, about whether everybody was on the same page or not. And then that starts to fester and then the team struggles. And instead of like putting your attention on the task at hand, that's when everybody starts to pick everything apart and that's when it can get spiral. Um, but you know, if you don't have the right coaches that you trust and our, and our team of people, and we've, you know, we've added to it, we've got the pitching lab coordinator and the analytics person. Now, you know, we've got a pitching lab intern, we've got the director of baseball operations. that has been a, and a huge underrated part of our, you know, of, of how our staff has come together to have that person that just kind of makes sure everybody's taken care of and we're communicating. We've added teamworks. So our guys, you know, they're getting messages from us every single day about something. So again, you know, play in today's day and age, you know, your players have to feel love. They have to feel touched. They have to feel important. 
where they where they won't play for you. But if they do, they'll go to the wall. Like I, I love all these old coaches today that say, "Oh, kids are so different. They're you know they're different." No, they're not. The kids care about the same things they've always cared about. And don't tell me they won't work hard because they will. The difference is like. 10, 15 years ago, kids will work hard without knowing why. Now kids have to believe in why they're working hard. They have to know they have to know why they're doing it, and they have to believe in the mission of the organization. But once you get the buy-in on the mission of the organization and they understand why they're doing something, these kids will work to the bone. I mean, they'll work as hard as any generation prior and maybe even harder. I really, as someone who's of the younger generation, I really appreciate you saying that because that honestly, it seriously means a lot because you hear it all the time, especially in the sports world, right? And the term that makes me the most angry is soft. Kids these days are soft. It's like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, what are you talking about? And it's like you said, they're different. They want to know why. And that's probably a good thing, right? And, And kind of shifting that into because they have more information at their fingertips than ever before, right? And, and you, we've mentioned a few times data and analytics and, that is a hot-button subject still in baseball for some reason. Can you just talk a little bit about why that's been so important for your program and kind of do you remember the day you made the decision of, like, we need to be on the forefront of this because this is a good thing to move the game forward? This isn't a scary boogeyman that it seems like for some people? Yeah, I do remember the day. It was kind of all happened at the same time. We got TrackMan here. And we weren't really using it. We didn't really know how to use it. And nobody really did, right? Again, we talked to a couple guys. We had a a guy, TJ Barra, that was working with the Mets at the time. And he's now actually with the Milwaukee Bucks, director of analytics. He went from the Mets to the Bucks and won a championship and got a ring with the Bucks. It's a really, he's a weight guy. And we talked to him about track, man, because again, we had Matt Hobbs as our pitching coach, who was phenomenal. And I and I went to him. I was like, man, we've got to we've got to find a way to use this technology and give credit to Matt Hobbs. He took it and ran with it and has become the you know as good a pitching coach. You know, Matt, Matt Hobbs and Corey Mascara and 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 Brownie at Vanderbilt are like the three best pitching coaches in the country. And all three of those guys use technology to the hilt. Right. You have to. That's what these kids want. These kids, they see it on social media. They understand what the numbers are. They want to know. Again, they have to feel confident in their delivery and their pitch plan and and their development. And if they and again, if they feel that back to the to the point you made, if they feel that they're totally all bought in, but they have to understand that. And data is quite honestly the simplest way to do it. Like. Here's the numbers. This is what makes you unique. These are your outlier characteristics. This is what our plan is to make you better. This is what you look like today. This is what we want you to look like in six months. And it's not just pitch characteristics and outlier qualities, but it's also how you move. You know what I mean? So when we bucket pitching development, we bucket into three categories. Number one is biomechanics, also known as how you move. Number two is ball flight data. You know, what's the ball doing? Ball metrics. And number three is what we call the art of pitching, you know, which is holding runners and fielding your position and being able to cross count your breaking ball. Colin wasn't that good at that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 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 But, but again, but these are the things like, like having, like being good in all three of those areas. Right. And, and as, as I tell our guys all the time, it doesn't matter where you are in the stage of development. It just matters that you're pointed the right direction that we're getting that we're making. And some guys it happens really fast for Rhett louder. Other guys, it takes a little longer like Kamenoski and, but it gets there like, because you, because we have a, a plan of, of development and attack, but you've got to, I mean, again, for me, gone are the days where you can't have these kind of this communication with your kids because if you don't give it to them, they're going to go find it elsewhere right. and they're going to, they're going to be getting misinformation. Yeah, we'll just uh, gloss by the fact that you hired two of the three best pitching <laughs> coaches in the country, which is super <laughs> impressive. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, that's a different conversation that we could branch down. I want to talk about the, you mentioned growth mindset several times. When you started your coaching career, you mentioned backside ground balls and exit velocity, and that was a way to, to teach hitting a lot more um, vocally, and people were, it's completely changed in the pitching development side. It's completely more information. Is it the growth mindset that allows you to be open-minded to that? Because so many get coaches get stuck in neutral by not adapting and changing when they have to, where it seems like you're like, hey, this is going to make us better. This is going to bring the program to be what it, we want it to be. Why wouldn't we use it? It costs money. We put it in here. Let's use it and find a way to be the best in the country at using it. What are What's kind of the open-mindedness that goes into adapting and changing when you know you need to? 
Well, I think it's more than anything. It's just meeting the kids where they are. Like, again, that's what, that's what the game requires. That's why I think our guys go out into pro ball and are successful, you know, because, again, they, they, they're armed with the information. They know who they are. They know what they do really well, and they know how to capitalize on that. So our guys step into pro ball, and they're, and they're ready um, for that. So, and that's part of what we do here, too, is get guys ready for pro ball. You know, again, when I list the five priorities of our program to our guys, priority number one is that you leave here a better human being, you know, that you're, you know, a man of kindness and empathy and you celebrate diversity and you're going to make a difference in your community, right? That's number one. Number two is their relationship with each other, you know, and, and, and how much they love one another. Number three is that they, they on track for a really good degree that's going to help them in life after baseball. Number four is there is using technology to, to develop and then number five is win. And number and again, I, as I say, winning is important. Don't get me wrong; it's not unimportant, but it's never going to be more important than those first four things. And again, we're we lay that out for them, and they and our guys really kind of embrace that and and run with them. But to answer your question, back to your question, which is a great one, is this is what this is what the it's what it is. I mean, this is this is the, and ignoring that. You know, I look at some of these major league teams and I see some teams that are all in on it. I see some teams that are all out on it and I'm, and I, and I don't understand, like, I don't think you should be a hundred percent data. I think there's some feel right. and some game. I think using the data, like what is data? Data is, is helps you predict the future, right? So you have to use the data, but at the same time, you, you have to trust your baseball instincts too and, and how you blend those together. And I, and again, I think our staff is really good at, at that blend balance right like that's what I'm hearing is like everything takes balance even in what you just said the five things that you list to your guys right you need a little bit of all of those is there a concerted effort though at teaching the guys that winning at all costs isn't the way to go about thing is that something that you really have to instill because there is pressure to, to win here right and there's pressure to win at this level and there's pressure to win at this this university so how do you go about teaching those guys? And is it something you have to teach them of like, hey, we're, it's not all about wins and losses. That can't be the only thing you live by. Because, you know, we mention this all the time. I forget what coach was talking about it, but won a national championship. And the most depressing day of their life was the next day when they realized nothing changed about their lives just because they won a national championship. Is that something like do you have a concerted effort of, of explaining that to your guys and teaching them that? We do. You know, we, we talked, I had a, a session with our guys not that long ago where we talked about Jim, Jim Collins from good to great. Right. And, and Jim Collins, you know, studied these organizations that gone from being good to being great at what they do. Wells Fargo, Apple, you know, et cetera. And, um, <clears throat> he says there's three things that separate those companies. One hedgehog mentality. They know what they do and they do that really well. Number two, they have the right people on the bus and they're in the right seats in the bus. You know, you got the forward thinkers, innovators in the front. You got the kind of back of the house guys, the, the grinder support guys in the back. And number three, you have a level five leader, right? A level five leader is willing to do whatever it takes to, to accomplish the mission of the organization. And what I said to our team was when we were going through this exercise with the team, I said, this is what we do. We use technology to develop players. We love each other more than anybody else. That's what we do. That's who we are. And that's what we're going we're gonna to tie all our decisions back to that. We obviously have the right people on the bus. If you weren't the right person, you wouldn't be in the building, right? So we're, we're good there. We know who our leaders are. We're good there. And I said, told the team, I said, like, I had to ask myself a really hard question. Am I a level five leader? And I said to the team, I said, well, that depends on what you think the mission of this organization is. If you think the mission of this organization is to win a national championship, then no, I'm not a level five leader. Absolutely not, because I'm not willing to do whatever it takes to win a national championship. Not willing to lie, steep, chill, run guys out of our program, treat our players poorly. I'm just not willing to do those things, right? However, if you think the mission of our organization is to develop amazing young men who are going to go out and be great fathers, great citizens, give back to their communities, great husbands, who make a difference in the world, who also have a really good chance to win a national championship, then that's exactly who I am. So again, we always tie it back to those priorities. Everything ties back to this is who we are. This is what we do. We tie everything back to that. I'm starting to see why Colin speaks so highly of you. So um, just after having this conversation, and that brings me to the next part of it. How important is you being the representative of 
being the good person so that the guys can look up to you and, 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 you know, see that, like, it's very easy for you to talk about doing the right things off the field, being a part of the community, but then they turn around and you're not there in the weeds with them and, and doing that kind of stuff. And obviously the story that is on the behind home plate of you donating a kidney to a player and just talk, uh, just big picture, talk about what that means to be the representative and even how important that decision to donate the kidney to one of your players was in what you want to be as a college coach that isn't just win at all costs in a national championship? Well, I think for all of our coaching staff, it's critical. And it has to be to it, man, from myself, you know, down to the equipment manager and our trainer and our strength coach and our ops guy and everybody in between. We've, we've got to be the example, right? Because as soon as you're not, then everything you say is just words. You know what I mean? That has to be followed up with action. Um, and, you know, when I look at Bill Salento, I mean, he's the best father I know. And then Corey Mascara is right there with him. These guys are great husbands and great fathers who are, are first and foremost dedicated to their families. And what a great example for our guys. You know what I mean? And you got Tony Joyce, our equipment guy, who would do anything for these guys. Um, you know, and Jeff Strom, who, you know, is here at 7 in the morning and leaves at 8 o'clock at night. You know, he and I are the last two to leave every night. You know, so again, the players see that and they recognize. And at the end of the day – like it's all it's coaching is the same as parenting. Like at the end of the day, your kids have to know that you're in this with them. They have to know that you love them because things are going to get hard and they have to know they're in the right place with the right people. So, and that certainly starts with me. Um, and I have to be the person that holds myself to the highest standard, but our other coaches are right there and, and doing the same exact things and, and setting the, you know, paving the way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome to hear that. And it, it's, um, kind of incredible and, and when you started this journey as a head coach did you kind of foresee that's the kind of head coach you were going to be did you have you always been that way and if so is that something you've picked up along the way is that just how you were raised as a person kind of where does where does that mindset come from yeah well I, as I've gotten older I yell less than I used to <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for sure um but um but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to believe I've always been a player's coach. You know, I think that's something, again, that relationship is really important to me. And it's one of the reasons, you know, I coach coaches today now get paid a lot more. So people could actually say they do it for money. Now, you know, when I first started coaching, I was making 33, my first head coaching job, I made $33,000 and I was the happiest person on the planet. Like I would have done it for $3,000, right? I would do this job. Don't tell my AD, but I would do this job for $3,000. We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. <laughs> But point is, is that like, you know, and that's the thing, like I tell this story all the time. It's one of my favorite stories to tell our team every year. I tell the story about my son, Chase, and Colin probably heard me tell this story. I'll never forget. Chase was his first ever like Little League game that he was ever playing. And it's, you know how you know, like when somebody you're like half asleep, but you're kind of awake and you know, somebody's standing there, but you're not really awake yet. And I knew somebody was standing there and I opened my eyes and there's Chase. He's in full uniform. Right. And I look at the clock. It's like 3.50 a.m. Right. And, and I'm like, I'm like, buddy, like, what are you doing? He's like, dad, what time are we leaving for the game? And I was like, we're leaving in seven hours. <laughs> right. And and uh, and and it, so he looks, he thinks about that for a second. He goes, well, can we go hit in the backyard? And it's like I tell that story because it's like don't ever forget why you started playing this game. Like you started playing this game because you couldn't wait to go to the ballpark. Right. Like you put your uniform on seven hours in advance. Right. You know, and it's the same thing as coaches. Like don't forget why you started coaching. You started coaching because you love dealing with the players, right? Yeah, you love the competing and you love the winning, but more than anything else, you just love being in the clubhouse with the guys and the, and on the buses. I tell our guys all the time. It's like we had a long road trip last year. We flew to Florida State and then we drove to Wilmington for a midweek so we like because it was spring it was after exams and it was like we didn't have really anywhere to go and it's impossible to fly from Tallahassee to Wilmington so we're like you know let's just we'll just drive halfway we'll stay in Savannah and then we'll drive the rest of the Wilmington so we're you know we're and like before this trip I'm like preparing the guys I'm like look 25 years from now, you're not going to be talking about whether we built Wilmington or not. We beat them, whether we won the game. You're going to be talking about this bus ride right. and how you're hanging out on the bus and how miserable you are all together, <laughs> right? And, but that's what you're going to – like, like that's, the best, that's the best stuff there is. And, again, creating those that environment where your kids celebrate that stuff and appreciate it, that's the whole, that's the whole deal. 
Was there an aha moment for that? Um, where was it when Chase woke you up at 3.50 in the morning and where you started to real li- realize, I, I call it like the, you know, just the kid feel of the game. I work with a lot of families that at the Performance Academy that want to play in college baseball, you know, as the director of Showcase there. And I have that conversation. It's like, if it's not fun, we probably need to have a conversation of whether you're actually making the right strides and steps. Was there an aha moment for you where that was kind of a switch that flip? Because again, going back to the culture, the 2023 season, how enjoyable your team was to watch the fun aspect of baseball was why I think myself and everybody else in the college baseball community were rooting for them every step of the way, because it made you feel like you were watching a bunch of kids in a good way, play baseball and just go out there and enjoy being a part of a team in a group. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was an aha moment, but there were definitely influences along the way. Like I had a coach growing up, Dee Osborne, uh, who I still stay in touch with that, you know, promoted that kind of environment. He wasn't the best baseball guy in the world, but you knew he loved you and you knew that, like, he'd take a bullet for you. Like, and, and his teams, you know, were just really close-knit. And then I got to Georgetown and, and played there, and I was very fortunate to play there. We didn't have the success on the field we wanted to have, but we just had a group of guys that, like, again, still stays in touch. I see all those guys almost like there must have been 15 of my teammates in Omaha with us last year, you know, and and we had a bunch of guys here for the Super Regional and guys here for the Regional the weekend before that. So, you know, again, you know, for me, it's always been about relationships. You know, again, yeah, you want to win. Yeah, we want to get a great degree, you know, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just it's about relationships, you know, because that's that's all we have. So I, I'm just curious here, you've come this far, if we fast forward 15 years from now, what is your kind of hope for what Wake Forest looks like and, and, and for what maybe you're doing in 15 years? If, are you a couple national championships maybe, uh, seeing this thing continue to grow? What's kind of, if we could fast forward 15 years, what would you like it to look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to go to Omaha five out of the next 10 years and win two of them. You know, that's a that's a big part of this. That's what I want to do. I want to I want to establish Wake Forest baseball as a national powerhouse, you know, year in, year out. You know, we've we've kind of been in this three year cycle. Like I look at our program and I'm like, you know, one year we're young. The next year we're pretty good. The next year we're really good. Then we're kind of young, pretty good. And and again, I understand why that is. We have a high cost of school and our financial aid's not great and we don't have any academic scholarships. So I understand why that happens. You have a big class that's really good. They get older and they're good. And then the kind of cycle starts over again. Um, And now I think hopefully with the portal and being able to add some of those pieces and now being a destination program that's known for developing, I think we can, again, I still think we're going to have, you know, maybe one of every four years where we're young because at some point you have to play your freshman. I was telling our our coach, our our assistants that the other day, it's like at some point we have to play the freshman (laughs) because that's how they develop. I don't care how good your development plan is. If they're not on the field, they don't develop. So, um, so to answer your question, though, you know, again, I want to help establish Wake Forest baseball as like, you know, one of the three or four premier programs in the country where, you know, you can get an, you can get a top twenty-five degree and and a and a top five baseball experience. I love that, and you know, talking about the twenty twenty-four season specifically, and obviously we're we're getting closer to forty-five minutes, and I know we have a lot of stuff planned today, so we want to be respectful of your time. But I could sit here and do this all day. Um, we could we will uh, we could go for six hours. But speaking of the twenty twenty-four season, obviously we've highlighted some some of the names and talked a little bit in detail about you know the guys that are going to make an impact. What's kind of your outlook, and what obviously the goals? I'm assuming are Omaha and winning a national championship obviously with the preseason number one but how do you get there right what's the process oriented goals what's kind of the focus right now as you guys transition into team practice at the end of this week and and getting ready to go against Fordham in what is it 20 some days I'm assuming 25 Um, days 25 days so um, what are the steps to get to where you want to go you know obviously building our pitchers up is kind of number one you know getting those starters hopefully by opening weekend where where they can beat about 80 pitches you know, is, is priority one, but, you know, figuring out our bullpen pieces, you know, last year we had an older bullpen with Cam Manassi and Seth Keener, you know, even Sully was at times in the bullpen, um, you know, 
this year we're going to have some youth in our bullpen. You know, we're going to have we're going to we've got some really talented freshman arms, and they're going to have to have roles. Like last year, I look at last year's team, and other than Merrick Houston, you know, we didn't play a ton of freshmen last year. Um, so now we have some freshmen that are going to have to contribute and have to have big roles. And again, they're probably not going to be ready for those roles in March, but we just need them to be ready by April. You know, and and we should have a good enough team where we can kind of stay the course until we until we pull it all together. But we've got to figure out our bullpen. You know, pieces the is is kind of the number one most important thing. What are you most looking forward to with this team in this upcoming season? Yeah, I'm just looking forward to to watching them play. Like you know, I'm looking forward to watching Nick Kurtz hit and Josh Hartle pitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and uh, and I'm looking forward to those bus rides and uh, and just being together as a group. Again, we've got a really like our team hasn't missed a beat from last year to this year. The energy is very much the same. A lot of our guys in their exit meetings talked about how this team's this year's team was even closer than last year's team. Now, what? we don't know yet about this team and we need to figure out like last year's team hated to lose, right? Everybody loves to win, but do you hate to lose? And that's an important distinction. Like last year's team didn't want to just beat you. They wanted to like embarrass you. Um, so, you know, this year's team, will we have that same kind of killer instinct and, and I think we will, but you know, we, you know, one of our like kind of sneaky leaders last year is Pierce Bennett. I mean, what a, he was kind of our glue guy. Like he was the guy that, and like when you, if you know Pierce Bennett, like he never loses at ping pong or cornhole or anything he does. Like he wins. Like he's not the most talented guy. He doesn't practice the most, but he just is a winner. And then Tommy Hawk was the same kind of the same personality. Tommy Hawk would fight you, you know, for an inch. Um, and again, like the personality on this team is going to be a little different because we don't have Pierce Bennett and Tommy Hawk, but we do have some older guys, some kind of. So I think it's going to be kind of a more kind of savvy kind of veteran a little more kind of low-key um team but again with some serious star power and firepower you can feel the energy obviously we we were here on friday we were here colin and i were here here yesterday we're here today it's a little bit tamer today not as many guys running around but the energy and the the team aspect and how close they are you can feel it and you can feel this team expects to be there at the end holding up the trophy and obviously they're going to take the necessary steps to get there is that kind of the mix you you would in an ideal world like the veteran leadership with the savviness mixed with the obvious star power of five potential first round picks do you think that's kind of like sometimes the ingredients that you're looking for because it again dan mentioned balance earlier when it comes to everything but that is kind of a, a balance that when it comes to on-field production that kind of translates a lot of times to success yeah, I, I do like that mix. I, I think that's a good way to say it. And, uh, and you know, having guys who are hungry, that's important too. Like, and we've got some unfinished business. I mean, there's no question about that. We, we felt like we missed an opportunity last year, and those opportunities don't come around very often. And thankfully, because Coach Moose and, and Billy did such a great job in recruiting with our freshman class and our, and our portal class, you know, we've, we've got the opportunity again. And, you know, I don't know that any team can say they have that opportunity every year. Um, and for us to have it back-to-back years at a school like Wake Forest is special. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Coach, we we truly appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. We're super excited for the rest of today, getting to walk around, highlight your facilities, obviously, which are some of the best in the country. And we appreciate you sitting down and taking the time to, to talk with us. I know it's busy this time of year, but, you know, it's it was a super awesome conversation, and I know our listeners specifically will appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys, and thanks for all you do for our game, Backside Ground Balls. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. That will conclude the episode for today.